Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hello. We're recording today's episode in the afternoon of Monday, the 24th of May. Um, Our key topics will be familiar to regular listeners, I think. We've had confirmation of the UK inflation rate rise in April, and the UK hasn't seen as dramatic a rise as there has been in the US, but it's still significant nonetheless, I think. Um, Employment and insolvencies are both down, and we'll discuss what's hiding beneath those figures. And finally, I think we want to, to highlight a story in particular um, that the FT has carried this week on the problematic cliff edge that we're um, that we're facing, and as things stand, that's still set to be at the end of of June. So we'll look at some of the um, the things that are being highlighted by interested parties on that. So Nick, let's go to inflation first of all. We had the ONS um, release last week, and what's our headline? Well, the headline is. Um that the CPI figure has gone from 0.7% in March to 1.5% in April. Um, the, uh, the culprits are household energy bills, unsurprisingly for anybody who's paying their bills, um, <laughs> uh, cost of clothing and f- uh, footwear, and mm-hmm. pump prices. Yeah. Um, everything's slightly ameliorated by lower prices for recreation and culture, for what little of that was going on, nonetheless, in the basket, yep. apparently, that was cheaper. Um, what, what caught my eye in there, um, and, and it's a topic that keeps coming at me from ev- every angle, and we'll touch on it several times, I think, as we go through this, the input prices for raw materials um, were up 9.9% year on year in April, which is bad in itself. That's the highest rate of increase since. 2000, early 2017, mm-hmm. and it's up from a running rate of 6.4% in March. So mm-hmm. it's not just high, but it's escalating. But you need to put all of this in context um, because inflation was twice as high in 2017 and three times as high in 2011. But there is absolutely no doubt that all of this, um, the, the UK insolvency figures, the uh, American um, surge, has triggered a ferocious debate mm-hmm. among economists. Um, you know, and apart from the old joke about, uh, you know, if you laid all economists end to end, they would never reach a conclusion. Um, the reality is that um, I think, on balance, there are more economists um, worrying about inflation risk than not. Than not. And and for, it's, for all it's the talk about transitory. Well, that's the thing. I think this is where I think we talked about a little bit about this last time about the base effect. So, of course, we're comparing to a year ago. And of course, a year ago, we were just starting out on the kind of the worst um, economic crisis for 300 years. So, you know, inevitably, the statistics that we're now looking at this in 2021, if we're doing any comparisons with 2020, are going to look quite out of the ordinary um, in terms of in terms of what we might might want to expect. And so, you know, I do think that there's a, a slight um sense of of caution in in you know what these these figures can tell, tell us. But I think that you're right in terms of those input price um rises. And and also I think we've we've touched on this before, of course, in construction, often you know these are affecting 
contracts that are happening now where prices have already been agreed. And so there's, and we know the margins are very, very slim. So there's not a great deal of, of scope for being able to pass that, that on. Wait, you know, wafer thin. And when, when you hear talk about um, uh, steel prices rising by 30%, yeah. that will blow away any margin on yeah. the vast majority of uh, construction contracts. It's such a core input material. Um, so, uh, and we'll come on to talk about labour costs, which is another inflation push. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I suppose it's interesting. Should we, should we just pop to um, Andy Haldit? I don't think an episode is never complete without, I don't know what we'll do when he leaves um, the, mm. the bank. But he he has been very strong on in warning about the inflation risks. But the logic of his argument is, is always that we're going to have a, this is going to be a demand-led um problem isn't it that, that we've got a whole load of pent-up savings we'll all go and spend that money and that will lead to inflation i think the danger actually and the thing that we're w- more worried about is this isn't demand led it's a kind of supply contraction issue yeah. so there's, there's a constraint in the supply side which leads to prices rising rather than because there's more people wanting to buy to buy things and, and that clearly is is really the, the problematic um yeah side. It's, it's a simple equation i mean to quote you one really really stupid little example um i'm picking up comment from people in the in the building trade saying i can't get concrete you know that I, I went mm. to the builders merchants and i needed a lorry full and i'm I'm being offered seven bags. Well, the answer is, I, I can't help thinking that those seven bags maybe were more expensive yeah. than they might otherwise have been. It's very yeah. folksy, but but I, I know that is happening all, all all over the place. So we'll see, and uh, you know, again, we know that they're still um, you're working through the whole um, issue with supply containers being in the wrong places last year. Then, of yep. course, Suez didn't really help matters. So again, there is a sense that that you could see a path out of this to, to, to normalisation, I guess it just depends how much damage is done in the meantime um, and how much that, that ripples through. Um, let's go on. You know, you, you just mentioned that obviously um, staff costs is one of the, yeah. the, the um, contributing factors and employment figures were released as well last week. Um, and this was a bit surprising, wasn't it, in some ways, because it's, it showed a drop um, in yes. employment. I mean, uh, uh, sorry. Okay, this is Q1 2021 and the headline unemployment rate dropped from 5.1% in Q4 2020 to 4.8%. I mean, not a huge drop, but nonetheless, I don't think it was expected. Uh, The employment rates, the converse of that, is up slightly at 75.2%, but that is still 1.4% below the levels Mm pre-pandemic. There were 772,000 fewer people on payrolls. Again, that's improving. And uh, just within that um, hit on payrolls, drop in payrolls, is uh, the biggest hit was in hospitality, um, where there are 275,000 fewer people on payroll. And bear in mind that includes furlough, because yeah, furlough people yeah. are on payroll, than in April 2020. And of course, it hits the under 25s, where a something like 40% of the drop is with is with Isn't staff who are under under mm. under twenty five. Um, vacancies, unsurprisingly, are up. Um, they're up by eight percent because obviously the economy is beginning to emerge. Uh, that's Q four. Um, uh, it's up eight um, percent on Q four twenty twenty, but it's still twenty right. percent below pre pandemic levels, which leads on to the problem about 
labour shortages. Research um, came out last week by the um, uh, by CIPD and the recruitment um, a company, big recruitment company, mm-hmm. that identified that, and they look specifically at the set most of the sectors that are hitting the headlines for problems with recruitment. So it's retail, it's hospitality, it's events, and it's leisure. Mm -hmm. And uh, their research showed that if you look at the the major job websites for those sectors, those are currently showing a million vacancies. So obviously in those four sectors alone, they are way above the figures from the ONS for the whole economy. Yeah. So I make no comment. And, of course, on top of uh, that million, of course, construction is another area which is always struggling struggling. and is struggling even more now. But at the same time, the research showed that job searches from overseas and particularly from North America and Europe on those websites have halved from before the pandemic. They've come down from a running rate of, uh, I presume, monthly of 500,000 to 250,000 yeah. wow. on there. So you've got vacancies going up and interest and from... Interest going down. Interest from overseas mm. coming uh, coming down. And they estimate uh, in this uh, research that 1.3 million workers have left the UK since late 2019. 1.3 million. Wow. So no wonder... We're having so much struggle to actually find people yep. to... Um, yeah, to, and, and, to, and that leads on job. to sort of a, a huge amount of anecdotal uh, stuff. One of my favourite um, restaurant chains, the, uh, the the boss who I know very vaguely, um, was complaining today on Twitter that he is having to offer £2,000 golden hellos for kitchen staff. Wow. Two thousand pound golden lows. I mean, I know, and, it, and, it, and and just think about what that actually means because these restaurants are not operating at full capacity no. by any means. No, and 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 another restaurateur was saying on Twitter this morning that he's now having to reduce the hours and the number of days that restaurant is open because he simply can't staff the restaurant. And you know, one one last anecdote: you know, a friend, a friend of mine complaining bitterly. He and his wife had been to two of their favourite restaurants um, since. Uh, this all opened up and the service was awful and when they complained to the owners who they who they they know mm. the answer was very simple the guy said i wish we could do better i can't get stuff you know so so that, and, and of course uh, we can't see can we joe the we can't see what's going on with labor rates at the moment because of course the figures coming out of the ONS reflect the fact that the jobs in the economy that have been lost when you do any year-on-year comparison um, are the lower paid ones so you know it looks like labour rates going up but you don't know whether they really are or not. Exactly. I think that's, that is that is quite frustrating. And I suppose the other thing um, on this to, to say and again it's a bit frustrating because we're we're kind of out of sync a little bit with the um with the figures, but we've we've still got um, 4.2 million people on furlough as of 31st of March. Now, uh, you've said we've said before we would expect that to come down significantly in April with the opening up. But then I think you again you mentioned before we started recording that you know there have been stories of of, of people wanting to come employers wanting to take their staff staff off furlough 
and the yep. staff saying, well, actually, we, we don't feel comfortable coming back and working in a, um, in a in restaurant, restaurant or retail yep. or whatever. So yes, the, the frustration of having kept people on furlough through the, uh, through the ins and outs of the uh, the openings and closings of the pandemic and then finally they don't want to come back to work yeah. is must and that's a cost again you know because it hasn't been cost neutral to employers yeah. employers have had to bear some of the um yeah. of the cost for that so i can i can see that must be very frustrating um trying to to build up a business and um yeah. and not actually having your your pool of staff that you you perhaps thought you you had yeah. um i think the other thing i was just going to say on that um we have done at company watch we've done quite a lot of work on the furlough data and matching that into um to companies and also looking at the group um so you know companies themselves might not have claimed furlough but companies within the group may have claimed so we're i think we're hoping to launch that in the next week or so um just as a kind of extra insight into to seeing how the furlough claims have um have 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 added up over that period since december when the um the stats are available insolvency i guess is our next topic and again you know i feel like we told you so <laughs> we have we have kind of predicted the the what the insolvency figures are doing they seem to be rising at the at the rent quarter months yep. don't they and then falling away again afterwards so what's our latest okay. story Co- nick Co- corporate insolvencies uh in april down 7.2 percent on march just 925 <sighs> corporate insolvencies yes. you know the 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 commercial landscape is haunted by by great wandering armies of zombie yeah. companies, and 925 companies failed. Um, uh, and if you look at that by comparison with April 2020, they're down 23%. You know, so there is no. I mean, I mean, I think the government will be thrilled by those numbers because. What they've done is to is to kick the insolvency can, which I mean, it could have got completely out of control without all the government schemes. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It, it, you know, and unfairly so, and that you know, I think there is that point of of businesses that, that are viable but just needed help now. And, I, and we're not really talking about those companies; it's the zombies, you know, from pre-pandemic yeah. um, times who have been kept on life support when really. Yeah. They they couldn't survive, and they've been able to survive because of the government I know, um, I know. schemes. You've just reinvented um, Theresa May's jams, haven't you? Just about managing <laughs> for companies. Yeah. Um, uh, personal insolvencies, which again are are you know bellwether of what's happening out there. They're down ten percent um, since March twenty twenty one, but only five percent down from a year ago. Okay. Um, uh, again, an awful lot of people are being being propped up by mm. um, all sorts of, uh, of measures, not least not having to pay rent. Yeah. Although that's now come to an end. Um, so those figures, nothing unexpected about that, but it leads on incredibly neatly. It's a wonderful segue to um, this fantastic piece in the Financial Times on the nineteenth last week, talking about the financial cliff edge and what it was was a wonderful bit of extra publicity about a joint letter sent uh, to Quasi Kwarteng at Bayes mm-hmm. from the insolvency uh, trade body, R3, yep. and the Institute of Directors. And basically, it was very, very simple. I can sum it up in one simple phrase, and then we, uh, there are some great quotes I'd like to share if we have time. And, it, and the, the bottom line is, 
HMRC needs to be the anchor creditor in rescuing businesses. The point here is that, of course, in December last year, HMRC regained their preferential status. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Which means that in pretty much all but the very biggest rescues, and even in some of those, the uh, HMRC are going to be the key, um, they'll be the creditor that can push a, a, a consensual restructuring or something like a CVA um, or a positive administration can yeah. push that through or or break the rescue. <clears throat> me. And the problem has been, has been when HMRC um, were non-preferential, they tended to be quite passive. Right, because they okay. didn't really feel they had a stake in the in the process. Yeah. What we don't know because it's too soon, because there's no activity. No, there's no you know, is is exactly what HMRC are going to do. And what this letter is saying is that HMRC need to engage constructively with helping businesses wean themselves off all these government support schemes. You know, the the the, the rent um, enforcement protection, yeah. the all the bounce back loans. Yeah. Uh, on there, and 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 fundamental. I mean, there's just a series of great quotes, uh, and I love this one particularly uh, in the letter to Quasi Quarting. HMRC have placed themselves at the top of the pecking order, and with that position comes responsibility. And it's Absolutely. a nice, it's a Absolutely. nice point. And we don't. It's it's unclear, isn't it, whether there is the expertise within HMRC to be able to play that that role and I guess that is something um you know was it thought through because originally this was meant to come in in April wasn't it last year so this yes. was is the pre-pandemic um yep. measure yes now we've had nine months to think well actually now what does this mean in practice whether actually anything has been done in terms of training um HMRC staff well, I think well, I, they probably had a few other things on their mind I, I think um, I think they probably have um I mean I can I can only share with the listeners, you know, my personal experience as as a, an active insolvency practitioner, um, and and it may be very different now, but I can only hark back to those days where a lot of the reaction of HMRC to any proposal you put to them for a rescue was sort of tick box based. They looked right. at the history of the company in terms of their compliance um, and their their payment record mm -hmm. they looked at the proposal and there was a sort of arbitrary figure you know if you if, if they were going to get less than well i think in in, in the early days 30 percent mm -hmm. of their debt in a rescue then they, they, they didn't matter what you said to them how many jobs would be saved or oh, really? how much of, they just simply would not play it tick box mm -hmm. but within all of that if you found um, the right guy in the right office with the right level of authority, you could have an adult conversation and you could have that discussion about, you know, the greater good and, you know, the taxpayer, the, the, the uh, state's responsibility in preserving viable businesses. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you you get a surprising, um, a surprising result. Um, so I, I think this is, uh, you know, interesting and i think it's it's a really big point and i just hope this is reaching the right levels within mm. the treasury and within hmrc that they understand because the problem here is if hmrc won't play or don't play or don't play effectively we are back to my nightmare scenario that if this all goes horribly wrong with the bounce back loans and the end of rent enforcement 
and the um, and ending the of and, mm-hmm. uh, the ending of the wrongful trading protection, yeah. uh, all of this, there could be a serious problem with capacity. Yeah, could be. I think there may be, but certainly could be. And from a uh, you know from the point of view of our audience. I don't think the issue, and Joe, you agree with me, is necessarily the credit end of this. It's a supply chain problem. Absolutely. Because um, if companies in the supply chain cannot continue and the insolvency profession is overwhelmed and the insolvency service, who've never been good at rescuing businesses, but won't play at all because they don't have the resources and they're overwhelmed too – what is going to happen to, to procurement managers is they're going to have a key player in their supply chain who needs to be rescued, restructured, um, put out of its put out of their misery in a constructive way from a supply chain point of view, not any other supply chain yeah. point of view, continuity of supply point of view. And I can see a situation where um, procurement people are going to be finding themselves being asked to fund a rescue. I mean, it, it, you know, in my experience, it has happened. I recall a situation where um, I was involved in rescuing quite a small business that was mission critical to a major airline mm. for a billion pounds worth of their annual revenue. It involves sticking together the old um, carbon copy um, uh, airline tickets um, in 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 um, Pune in India, but oh, right. whatever. And the yeah. airline funded the rescue. I mean, and we've we've, no we've we've come across um, you know with our clients examples of um, procurement professionals having to say, well, we had to step in to to rescue yes. a company because it was so critical. And it's it's maybe not for, forever, but you need that, as you say, the continuity of supply. And 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 in a way, on the creditor side, your losses are known aren't they? You know, you know, you've got exposure on the supply chain side, you know, unless you're really kind of on top of your, your critical risks, your, your potential losses are are unknown, are unquantifiable. So it's, it's, it's certainly, I think at the moment, um, the concern, as you say, is on the supply chain side. Um, It it comes back, Joe, to the point, you know, the, the responsible um, institution in all of this is now HMRC. Yeah. And they have to play because if they don't, it's they're going to make it unnecessarily difficult and the mm. whole situation much worse. So I hope they're listening. <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> I'm sure we have some avid listeners. Yep. Um, anyway, thank you. I, I'm, I'm conscious um, of, of time running on. So I will. I think we've managed to cover our, our big themes for today. So, Nick, thank you very, very much indeed, as always. For, it's a pleasure, um, for guiding us through the um the thorny issues thanks to everybody for listening until next time goodbye